This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Greg Gilchrist, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Dan DeMarco, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. Today, I have Pamela Fierst Walsh with me. Pamela is the Senior Advisor on Conflict and Critical Minerals and the U.S. Representative to the Kimberly Process. She works at the U.S. State Department. We're going to take a deep dive into the Kimberly process, talk about what it is, Pamela's role in it, how it was developed, how it relates to conflict mineral initiatives, and how the U.S. State Department supports the Kimberly initiative around conflict minerals going forward. If you are in the compliance space at all, this is a critical uh, issue for you. It involves uh, and revolves around sourcing. So even if you're not in supply chain compliance and you're in ABC compliance, this is a podcast that will benefit you. Thanks for listening. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And today I have with me Pamela Fierst Walsh. And for true podcast aficionados, you will remember that she joined Jay Rosen and I for a special live recording of This Week in FCPA last fall. And I asked her if she would come back onto the podcast. So, Pamela, first of all, uh, thank you for taking the time to visit with me and welcome back. Thanks a lot, Tom. Always a pleasure to be here. So, Pamela, I'm going to read the title that is on your uh, email address and then ask you to explain what it all means. So she is listed as Senior Advisor, Conflict and Critical Minerals, Office of Threat Finance and Countermeasures, Bureau of Economic and Business Affairs, U.S. Department of State. So what does all that mean you do? That is a really big description, isn't it, Tom? Um, Yeah, so basically I work with my colleagues on implementation of legislation to include the Clean Diamond Trade Act, Dodd-Frank 1502, designed to prevent funding to armed groups based on their uh, specific commodities. And we also get into all sorts of topics about responsible sourcing and the intersection of private sector due diligence efforts with enforcing U.S. sanctions regimes uh, in particular, but other laws as well, like money laundering, corruption, et cetera. So we do a lot of interesting, fun stuff. We kind of like to say it's about making sure bad people aren't profiting off of shiny things that come out of the earth. You know, that's as fine a description as I believe I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, and that really brings up the the place we met was a, <clears throat> a supply chain conference. And uh, your presentation at that conference really opened my eyes into our government's work in that area, beyond simply the passing of legislation, you actively work uh, with companies, you actively work with countries, you actively work uh, with the private sector to help implement uh, many of these initiatives and ideas. Would that be a fair assessment? I think that's a very fair assessment. So the, the reason I wanted to get you back on the podcast, though, was to talk specifically about the Kimberly process 
your role uh, in in that process, or rather, I should say, the State Department's role, and what that means for the individual uh, international business person. Right. So, um, very happy to talk about it. These days, when we talk about the Kimberly process, we talk as much about what it is not as what it is. So, the Kimberly process was created in 2003, uh, ratified under U.S. law as part of the Clean Diamond Trade Act. And it's an international certification, trade certification scheme that is intent on preventing the flow of conflict diamonds into the legitimate supply chain. So um, you may have seen that movie long ago called Blood Diamond, for example. Um, that's a, that's a, a kind of a, a clever way of thinking about it in shorthand, right? Um, well, the definition of a conflict diamond is a diamond whose proceeds are used to fund armed groups in their definition in their efforts against the legitimate government. So it's a pretty narrow definition, which is why I say oftentimes we find ourselves talking as much about what the KP is not as what it is. In 2003, it was a, a important vanguard effort by member states who chose to sign up to say, we will meet these minimum standards and we will not let stones that are defined in this way leave our borders and enter the legitimate supply chain. We're going to apply it just to rough stones, so like the the kind that just right out of the earth, they haven't been polished in any way, and, and we're going to certify by attaching to any shipments that we send a certificate, a Kimberly process certificate, and it's got the weights and measures and et cetera, and it says this is not a conflict stone. And that is basically the process. It has international partners like, you know, foreign countries that, that like the United States, engage because they find it a, a useful and worthwhile pursuit. They have industries that they want to support. They have ideals that they want to uphold. And then you have a, a tripartite structure, we say, because we have a um, independent observer body from industry called the World Diamond Council, and that's comprised of various sectors of the diamond supply chain. And then we have a coalition of interested NGOs called the Civil Society Coalition. So together, that tripartite structure is it comes together to try to ensure that it lives up to its expectations. However, as I mentioned, that very narrow definition of a conflict diamond increasingly comes up as a source of difficulty because consumers today, and you no doubt experience this based on how often you're talking with, with folks concerned about supply chains or corrupt practices, consumers today want to feel better about the products that they purchase. And so when you say that you've bought a a diamond and it's KP compliant, that's great. But there's literally one country in the world where there are literal conflict diamonds under the definition of the Kimberley process. That's the Central African Republic. And the U.S. works very very actively there to, to try to support better uh, a better diamond industry, but it doesn't include things like, you know, concerns about other types of violence that might occur. Have there been abuses of any kind? 
Is corruption at play? Are there human rights questions surrounding it? And none of that is really captured in the Kimberly process process or the definition. So the KP is is a, just as much about upholding the ideals of the countries that came together to deal with a very specific problem as it is trying to bring all the member states toward consensus that in order to keep the diamond industry strong, you need to maintain consumer confidence, and that requires meeting consumers where their expectations lie. And it's probably a little bit higher of a standard than what the KP is currently offering. Well, I was wondering if I could uh, perhaps expand out from simply diamonds to uh, a little bit broader definition of conflict minerals mm. and ask you, how does the Kimberley process either inform, relate to, or did it perhaps even lead to the conflict mineral uh, initiatives that we saw starting around uh, 2010 and the, the current concept of responsible sourcing? Right. It's an excellent question. Um, you know, for as, as much uh, of a challenge as we face with the Kimberley process, in many ways, it, as I mentioned before, really was kind of the vanguard. It, it started a conversation that said there is a, a problem that we have. There is a way we can address it. We're going to come up with one means of doing that through some sort of certification process. So in the KP example, you know, you've got member states, countries that are certifying these exports. When you fast forward a little bit and you get to conflict minerals, which are which include tin, tantalum, tungsten, and gold, specifically mined in the DRC or its nine neighbors, you you see in that legislation the effort to ask private sector companies to verify because they know their supply chains better than anyone. Did you source these materials from armed groups? And can you certify that you didn't do it that way? And so it started a, a kind of a, a continuation of a conversation that gets at concerns in these industries that efforts to source materials can have a negative impact. It's great to have gold, but are you sure your gold's not funding, you know, an armed group in Eastern DRC? DRC, which has had, you know, which, you know, had not that recently, uh, out, uh, or fairly recently, sorry, overcome a, a civil war with, you know, millions of deaths, right? So what is the role of that commodity in that violence? And so there is a kind of continuation, I think, that began with the KP and moved in toward conflict minerals, those four things specifically. We see our European Union counterparts have their own legislation, similar to Dodd-Frank, but global in nature, that will come into force in 2021. Um, and it also is reliant on the concept of responsible sourcing and supply chain due diligence. So you really see this expansion of, of the effort to get at ensuring private sector efforts are doing what they can to 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 limit the negative impact um, of using these materials. And the point that I often make, Tom, and you've, you've heard me make it, is that under U.S. law, you're not only just talking about Dodd-Frank, you're talking about compliance with Treasury sanctions guidelines, right? Um, we designated, the U.S. government designated an international businessman named Dan Gertler under a, an expansive executive order called Global Magnitsky, 
which designated him for corrupt acts in DRC's mining and mineral sector, right? So this individual, you know, responsible for bilking hundreds of millions of dollars from, from a country, he's designated. Well, are you sure this, this guy isn't in your supply chain? Or did you know that gold from Venezuela is now uh, sanctioned under uh, executive order? Well, are you sourcing gold? Are you getting it from Latin America? There's a lot of gold in Latin America. Are you sure it's not coming from Venezuela? So the the conversation about responsible sourcing has evolved from, you know, the 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 2003 Kimberley process inception now down the line to consumer expectations and issues of national security. So it's a pretty expansive topic that that merits uh, the kind of uh, you know look that you are able to give it. So, so Pamela, if I could pick up on the second point around the issue of national security, mm. and that's one that really seems to have gone to the forefront, uh, if not in the press, in the business community as well. And one of the things that uh, I'm seeing companies try to do is uh, actually. Uh, do a better job of understanding their sources, partly in response to compliance with the law, but it's partly in response to the two points you raised, uh, changing uh, consumer expectations, but also national security, so that if a country where they are uh, sourcing uh, pops up on, a, on an unapproved list, or if it gets looks like it's trending that direction, the company can move to an alternative supplier, or at least one that's not going to uh, violate a change in any regulations. Is Are those kinds of conversations uh, the kinds of things you're seeing in the business community as well? Absolutely, Tom. Um, there's no doubt about it. I, I think that the fact is in the year 2019, a diverse supply chain is a really important stopgap against any kind of disruption. And then mapping your supply chain and knowing where your inputs are coming from is just good business sense. Now, you don't need someone from the U.S. government to tell you that. I hear it from my private sector counterparts all the time that supply chain mapping is a challenge. It's a big challenge for companies, particularly smaller ones, but it's an important one because it minimizes the risks and increases reliability. And if you are a business owner, those are two things you want to do. You want to minimize risk and increase reliability. So, absolutely. Uh, Pamela, as you know, uh, I come out of the anti-bribery, anti-corruption world, and many of the innovations in the what we call the ABC world came about because of the regulators in the form of the Department of Justice and the Securities and Exchange Commission uh, uh, vigorously enforced laws like the FCPA, but also looked uh, extensively at corporate compliance programs. What it sounds like you've described to me in supply chain mapping uh, also sounds like the government uh, mandating uh, businesses to look at certain things or even have certain processes and companies responding in a robust manner, but from the business perspective. And that's why we're uh, seeing innovation. As, as you said, it uh, minimizes risks uh, and it expands potential uh, uh, efficient business process. Is that also a part of, part of the conversation? It, it absolutely is. I mean, SEC enforcement is a is an important element to to private sector conduct, as you no doubt know. Um, in the case of Dodd Frank, we've had some conflicting statements that have come out of the SEC, and I think folks 
kind of get confused. And then we have to come along or I come along and I say, yep, Dodd-Frank 1502 is still the law. You can talk to your lawyer about whether and when you file. But I'm pleased to see that the reporting rates continue to, to grow just a little bit every year. Um, and so, you know, we, we are seeing indications that the private sector continues to recognize the importance of playing by the rules. And I think that's uh, getting back to reliability and dependability, a pretty important factor in any supply chain. Kimberly, unfortunately, I'm sorry, Pamela, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time talking about the Kimberly process (laughs) and uh, conflict mineral initiatives. But I was wondering, are there State Department resources that listeners could go to for more information or other resources you might direct them to? The State Department website, I would love to say, is probably completely up to date. I'm sure it's not, but you can find me there nonetheless. That part I know is accurate. Um, and so I would also encourage any listeners, particularly if you're in the, the gem and jewelry world, to look into resources like the Responsible Jewelers Council or the Jewelers Vigilance Committee. Um, if you're looking in the more broad mineral space, you can look at the, uh, the Responsible Minerals Initiative or RMI. That's a big one. Uh, I'll be at their conference later in October talking about some of these issues. Uh, Those are some important uh, resources that folks might want to consider looking at. And then we'd always love to hear from others. You know, it's not just tin, tantalum, tungsten, and gold. uh, There's increasing interest in cobalt. Critical minerals is 35, you know, numerous things on it. So we'd love to hear from anyone who's got other perspectives to share with us or find new ways to collaborate, just like this podcast, Tom. Well, thank you so much. I've been visiting with Pamela Fierst-Walsh on the Kimberly process, but also a much broader uh, discussion of conflict minerals. And I was pleased that you actually named cobalt, because that's one of the things that uh, there's a fair amount of discussion in my part of the world and in Houston upon. So, Pamela, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us today. Thanks a lot, Tom. I look forward to it anytime. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. We're going to link to some information on the Kimberly process in the show notes. As I said in the introduction and throughout this podcast, this is something you really need to familiarize yourself with as the sourcing of material has become a much more critical issue, not only in terms of legal and regulatory compliance, but in terms of reputational issues that can bedevil a company. So it should be on the radar of every compliance professional. Hope you will join me again next week for another episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.